Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And uh, really glad that you're here with us today. Um, I don't know how much we talk about this, but uh, we are, as Redemption Gateway, one of nine congregations that are part of the Redemption Church family. Actually, kind of an exciting day uh, today for Redemption Tucson. They're celebrating their fifth anniversary as a congregation, so we're happy for them. Let's give uh, Redemption Tucson a hand. We're excited for them. Uh, most of you uh, have never been there, won't ever go there, but if you ever get a chance to go to Tucson, I mean, if you ever have to go to Tucson for some reason, <laughs> pop by Redemption Tucson. Uh, God is actually, believe it or not, at work in that city uh, there. So he had to work really hard to do it, but, but uh, we're excited about what God's doing there. And uh, Redemption Church, as a, as a family of churches in Arizona, is actually, uh, we have a lead pastor named Tyler Johnson, and some of you have heard him speak before. Uh, most of you don't know who he is, uh, but Tyler and I actually went to high school together. He's how I ended up in Arizona, and um, we've known each other for years and years and years. And, and the, the reality is, if you got to know Tyler, he's one of these people, there aren't many people like this, where the closer you get to him the more impressed you actually are, right? Most people, the, the closer you get, you go, Ugh. that was good from far and far from good, right? <laughs> but you get closer to Tyler and he's actually like just one of the greatest people you've ever met. And most people have never seen Tyler as angry as I've seen him. And I think maybe I've told this story before, but when I was in college, Tyler and I were playing on a baseball team in Kansas City, Missouri, and Tyler was my ride for the whole summer. Um, he would pick me up, and he'd drop me off, and we would drive around, and we'd talk, and we'd listen to music, and we would hang out, and it was just a great time as we were playing baseball together that summer. And uh, there was one particular day where I made Tyler so mad. Uh, the host family that we were staying with had given us um, some watermelon, had cut up slices of watermelon, and we had this big Tupperware thing of watermelon slices, and so we were kind of passing around and eating the watermelon. So I would eat the watermelon and then I'd roll the window down and I'd chuck the watermelon rind out the window. Tyler, you know, he's kind of green, one of those environmental people. And he was like, hey, stop throwing the watermelon out of the window. It's litter. I was like, dude, it's biodegradable. The birds will eat it. Like, it's really no big deal. And then I had another piece and I ate it and I just, and I, honestly, I, I forgot and I rolled it down and I threw it out the window. And he said, Luke, don't throw the watermelon out the window. So I took another piece and I ate it and I looked at him while I rolled the window down and I went, and he pulled the car over and he yelled at me. I've driven you around all summer. I've done nothing but take care of you. And I ask you to do one thing and you won't do it. And uh, believe it or not, I actually at that point finally felt guilty and felt bad. Felt like, oh my goodness. And the reality is Tyler was right to be mad because there's a difference between when we do things we shouldn't do and it's just a mistake. We don't know better, we didn't think about it and it just kinda happens. That's one thing, but when we do something defiantly, right, when, when you tell your kid, hey, don't touch that vase and they look at you and go, touch, right? Like that is defiant, right? And so you tell, we tell people as parents, like, hey, discipline defiance. Don't discipline childishness. Don't discipline just mistakes that kids make necessarily. But when kids are absolutely intentionally defiant, that's when you have to 
discipline them as parents. And what we're looking at here in this passage today in Exodus 5, 6, and 7 is a passage where God is repeatedly uh, warning Pharaoh about some things. And Pharaoh, the one who is keeping the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt, is defiant. The verses we read just a moment ago, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? This is not like inquiring minds want to know. Who is the Lord? I've been curious. Thank you, Moses, for coming. Who, Who is he? Tell me more. No, this is, who's the Lord? I should obey his voice. Let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, what we're going to look at next week is actually all the heavy lifting, all the difficult work, all the judgment and strife that Pharaoh in Egypt had to endure because of Pharaoh's defiance. We're going to look at that next week, but this week you have to really kind of get the heart of what's going on is Pharaoh has a defiant heart that will not let God's people go. Now, just to review with you, Exodus, uh, this book that we're walking through over the rest of this fall, this is a book that's about uh, God making himself known in a world that has long forgotten him. The people of Israel had been in Egypt for about 400 years. A lot of that time, they had been enslaved. They had been crying out to God, but God had not really been answering. They didn't really know God very well. They had, a lot of them, forgotten him. And so this book is about God revealing himself to the people of Israel. And then the second half is about God revealing himself to the nations through the people of Israel. The Hebrews, they're oppressed, they're enslaved, and God shows up to Moses. That's what we looked at last week in Exodus 3 and 4. God shows up in a burning bush. He says, I am who I am. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. Look actually, if you have your Bible, at Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 18. It says, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. God says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And that sets us up for this encounter that Moses and Pharaoh have that we're going to look at here today. So here's what I want to do is I want to pray here in just a moment, and then I want to kind of walk through these stories, make sure you understand what's going on in chapters 5, 6, and the first part of 7, and then we've got kind of, uh, we have a, uh, basically a reminder to give you, an encouragement, a warning, and an invitation. That's what we'll look at here in this passage. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you. That even when we are defiant against you, when we know what's right and we don't do it, when we know what's wrong and we do it, God, thank you that even when we're defiant, you keep pursuing us and you forgive us. But God, allow us today as we walk through this passage to be warned, to be reminded, to be encouraged and to be invited to experience you in a powerful way. We ask you to move among us in Christ's name, amen. 
Amen. All right. Well, you're going to want your Bible here for the next few minutes because we're going to walk through uh, chapters five, six, and seven. Again, that's on page 44. If you have one of the Bibles on the pews or the pews, that's cute, Uh, the rows in front of us. Um, So grab your Bible and uh, look with me at Exodus chapter five. We just read verses one and two. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. They say, hey, let my people go. He says, I don't know the Lord. I'm not letting them go. And it says this in verse three. Then they said... The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Like, listen, Pharaoh, you don't get it. This, like, we're not kidding. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So get this. When, when this request is made, it's not a request, let my people go forever. Now, that's what ends up happening. But the initial request is, hey, just let us go out to a three days journey so that we can worship, so we can make sacrifices, so that we can rekindle the covenant with God. Verse four, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. Pharaoh's upset. He's going, guys, listen, you're giving them all this talk about rest. They're slaves. They don't get to rest. Get back to work. Verse six. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Right, The bricks they made would have been made out of mud and straw. In the past, they'd provided the straw. They said, not anymore. You go get it yourself. Verse eight, but the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Let us, let us go, let us go worship. Let us go honor God. <laughs> no. And if you have all this time to plot all the things you should do on your retreat weekend, then maybe you need a little more to do. So why don't you get back out there, collect the bricks. We're not giving you the straw, but we're keeping the quotas the same. Get to work. Now there's an important word in verse nine. If you are a person that marks your Bible, you might just circle this. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. That word most of the time in the book of Exodus is translated as hardened harder. And it's going to be used over and over in the book of Exodus to describe how Pharaoh's heart was hardened and how the Lord had hardened Pharaoh's heart. What we see here is Pharaoh is putting a heavy weight on the people of God. And so God will put a heavy weight on Pharaoh. And we're going to see that even more next week. So this plan doesn't go real good, right? I mean, they just think, well, God's been with us. We've met with him. We're going to waltz right in there and this will be easy peasy. Not so fast. If you look at the rest of chapter five, what you'll see is that the, the, in fact, it does get harder and the people complain. They complain to their foremen who are also Hebrews. Those Hebrew foremen go and they complain to Pharaoh and say, hey, what the heck? You, you made this more difficult. This isn't fair. We don't like this. Pharaoh says, hey, you're idle. You're lazy. Get back to work. Why do you have time to come talk to me? And it says then in verse 19, the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they, said, when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, 
So, so get this, the, 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 the foremen have met, they've heard from the people who are complaining. Now they've talked to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, get back to work. I'm not making it easier. Now they're going to Moses and Aaron. Here's what they say. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. So they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you, Moses and Aaron, and judge because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses and Aaron, what are you doing? (laughs) This is your version of help? Could you not help us anymore? This is how it's going to be? We stink to them. This whole thing stinks. We had it better off before you got involved. Verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all, right? Everyone just wants to complain. Doesn't go the way they thought. It goes exactly the way God had told them, right? God had told them the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, but they missed that part. And so there they are, they're griping and they're complaining to God. And yet God is patient. This is going all according to God's plan. God is sovereign, God is in control, God is not surprised. By the way, God's not surprised at what's going on in your life. When you show up and go, God, where are you? God, what did you do? God, I had it better off before. He goes, A, no you didn't. And B, I'm with you. That's what he tells Moses at the beginning of chapter six. So look with me, swipe to the right, get to chapter six. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will deliver them out of his land. Now in the next paragraph, I want you to notice how many times it says the sentence or the phrase, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And every time you see the word Lord in all caps there, uh, that is the, the way that we descri- that's the way that the English translators translate the, the name of God, Yahweh. I am the Lord. Notice how many times he says, I am the Lord in this next paragraph. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land in which they lived as sojourners. Pause there for a moment. Notice, God is saying, I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I I, I showed them who I was, but not fully. Moses, Aaron, Israelites, you're about to get more of me than they got. So I know you're frustrated. I know you're upset. I'm going to show you who I am. Verse five, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Also notice how many times it says I will, I will, I will, I will. 
Uh, Again, backing up, verse six. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Listen, there's a difference between not listening to God because your heart is hard. There's a difference between that and not listening because your spirit's crushed. Some of you have had a crushed spirit. Life has just been so difficult and so painful and so heavy, and everyone that looked like they were gonna help you just made it worse. And when you're in that spot, it's it's hard to listen, even when it's God talking. On the other hand, some of you just have hard hearts. You've decided that things are gonna go the way they're gonna go. You have a better plan for your life. That's like Pharaoh, we don't wanna be like that. And so uh, the Lord says to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people go out of the land. And, and again, this is all sort of setting up what's going to happen next week. Now, in the middle of this, and I'm not going to go in depth on this, but in the middle of it, in the, in the back half of chapter six, you have a genealogy. You have this long explanation of all these different people who are born and who the sons of these and that are. And the reason for that, just briefly, is that uh, in the rest of the, the, the five, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy... Uh, In those five books, there's going to be a lot of establishing the authority of Aaron and the priesthood of Aaron. And that uh, paragraph that is all those names and all that genealogy, that is really establishing that whole thing. So we'll just let you read that on your own. Better yet, listen to it on Bible on tape so that you can like hear how they say it. All right. So go to chapter seven. And this will wrap up and set us up for next week. Chapter seven. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall, shall, shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people of the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Just a word of encouragement to those of you in that stage of life. God's not done with you. One of my friends who just earlier this year went to be with the Lord said one of the hardest things about aging is that you go from being a who's who to a who's he. You feel forgotten and you feel overlooked, but the Lord doesn't overlook you. And he's not done with you. It says then in verse eight, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh so that it may become a serpent. 
So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff and it became a serpent. That's freaky. <laughs> I don't know how many of you like have a walking stick that you uh, use as you go on a hike around the mountains here, but my guess is if you throw it down, it just goes clang. Right? You, you don't typically have the power to throw it down and have it become a serpent, but, but he did. And not only did he, but it says in verse 11, then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same thing by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, right? Like you've seen the Darwin and the Jesus fish fighting it out on the backs of everyone's cars, right? And who's swallowing who? Well, in this story, Aaron's staff swallows up the other ones. Verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. He's defiant. He's defiant. So as I said, in this story, we find a reminder, an encouragement, a warning, and an invitation. First, a reminder. Here's a reminder for us based on this story. A world opposed to God usually opposes God. Wow. Right, isn't that brilliant? A world opposed to God usually opposes God. Right, some things are, are obvious, but you still have to remind yourself of them, right? Like, this is how I feel as a parent. The other day I was on the phone with Molly, and we're talking, and I hear her say, hey, stop licking the floor. <laughs> she comes back on the phone, she goes, did you hear what I just had to say to your son? And I said, well, honey, that's why he needs parents, because he is going to lick the floor. He's a child, like this is what children do. It's the same thing with the world. The world humanity is bent against God. We, we rebel against God actively. We ignore God passively. Our hearts are bent toward our own desires and our own sense of what the good life is. That's what sin is. And we know this because that's how we were, those of us who are followers of Christ. We still have little rebels inside of us, but we can look back even and go, man, I used to be all just about me and my agenda and what I could get and how I could look good and the stuff I could acquire and the power I could have and the career I could advance. And that was just all you lived for. You weren't thinking about God. And so why does it surprise us when the world's not thinking about God? Why are we shocked? That a world opposed to God opposes God. But why are we shocked when, when schools begin to teach that gender is just a human construct and it's fluid and it's no big deal? Why are we shocked by that? Why are we shocked when presidential candidates line up tripping over each other to support late-term abortion? Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised when governments separate children at the border or put them in cages? Why, why does that surprise us? Why are we surprised when other governments in other parts of the world persecute Christians? Why are we surprised in a media that forgets God and just promotes whatever story fits their pre-existing agenda? Why are we surprised when people with power abuse it? 
I heard a story the other day. There's a website, I'm not going to name the site because some of you will be tempted to go there. There's a website that specializes in promoting affairs between married people. It's a hookup site for married people to have affairs. And they just recently put out what are the top 20 cities in the country where there are hot spots for adultery on this site. You know what number 10 was? Gilbert, Arizona. Why are you surprised? Do you think the hearts of people in Gilbert are purer than the hearts of people in Vegas? Do you think the hearts of American politicians are purer than the hearts of North Korean politicians? Do you think the hearts of people in power have changed since the days of Pharaoh? And yet we're outraged. We're shocked. We can't believe it. Why? (laughs) A world opposed to God usually opposes God. So instead of reacting with outrage and shock, what if we responded with prayer and patience? Not cynicism, not, well, I figured, they're all corrupt. You can't trust anybody. No, 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 no. But what if we responded with prayer, with patience, with love, rather than outrage? A world opposed to God usually opposes God. It's obvious, but sometimes a helpful reminder. Here's the encouragement at a more personal level, so that's kind of macro. Here's a more personal thing. Here's an encouragement. Following God often makes things harder. Wow, you have a funny way of encouraging. Right? I don't know if, I, I didn't hear this in one of like Caleb's positive and encouraging little, you know, minutes, you know. Maybe they have this. I don't, I don't listen very much to Caleb, honestly, but following God often makes things harder. I hope that encourages you because some of you have started following God and things have gotten more difficult and you've assumed that maybe you're not doing it right, that maybe God doesn't actually listen to your prayers, that somehow God isn't interested in your life because you assume if I follow God, things will get easier, things will get better, things will get smoother. Following God often makes things harder. Uh, My favorite uh, title of a marriage book is by Paul Tripp. It's called, What Did You Expect? And the reality is we expect all kinds of wrong things when it comes to marriage and all kinds of wrong things when it comes to walking with God. See, sometimes you'll forgive someone and they'll take advantage of it. Sometimes you'll donate a lot of money and then your car will break down. Sometimes you'll share the gospel and damage a friendship. Sometimes you'll hold on to your integrity and the people at work who are compromising theirs will call you judgmental. Sometimes you'll pray and you'll pray and you'll pray and you'll pray. And God will say, no. Sometimes you'll do what's right and you'll be falsely accused for it. Right? Isn't that what happened to the people here in this story? 
They go to Pharaoh, hey, let, let us go. Let us go honor God. Let us go get out there. And they're thinking, well, surely if, if God's told us to do this, and this is the right thing, and this will honor God, this will just easy peasy. And instead, it gets way worse. Let me encourage you, following God will sometimes make things more difficult. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said as much in John 15, 20. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If things were hard for me, Jesus says, why do you think they would be easy for you? Listen, suffering doesn't mean God has forgotten you. Suffering doesn't mean God has abandoned you. And suffering doesn't mean it's not worth it. The path that the Israelites have to take before they experience the freedom of resurrection is they have to go down into death and suffering before God lets them go free. The path of Jesus is to go down into suffering before resurrection. That's the path of our lives as well. Suffering and pain doesn't mean God isn't working. Here's a third thing as a warning, is beware hardening your heart against God. See, what happens is when your life isn't going the way you thought, and you're not getting the answers to prayer you expected, and you're suffering even as a result of doing good, you have a tendency to go, forget this. And so beware hardening your heart against God. That's what we see in Pharaoh, isn't it? He's just hardening his heart. No, I'm not going to do that. And we'll see this next week more and more. We're going to push deep into this idea of hardening your heart. But let me ask you, forget Pharaoh, forget Israelites. What about you? Is God trying to get your attention in life right now? Circumstances are going such a way that you're going, gosh, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Friends are coming to you and they're encouraging you and they're exhorting you and they're challenging you in certain ways. You go, maybe, maybe God's trying to get my attention. Is God trying to get your attention? Here's how the author C.S. Lewis said it. He said, God whispers in our pleasures but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Listen, pain doesn't always mean you're doing something wrong, but pain might be an indication that God is trying to speak to you. Maybe to encourage you, maybe to correct you. But is God trying to get your attention? There's this reality for us that we have, like Pharaoh, hardening hearts. We all have a little Pharaoh in us. And we drift, and our hearts get hard, and life is difficult. This is why the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers. Watch out. Be careful. Be on guard. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. This is why we need community. This is why we believe in the rooted class and in start here and in RCs and in men's and in women's groups and in having students and kids all have small groups because we need to be exhorted every day. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It looks better than it is. 
It offers more than it can deliver. I think about, I think about this every time I see beets. Just recently with some friends up in Sholo and we went to this restaurant. We were all excited because they had like a salad bar and I hadn't been eating at a, you know, some of the salad bar in a long time. You go up and you look at the salad bar and the beets, they look amazing. They're bright red and they're juicy and they taste like sand. <laughs> I mean, it is just such a trick. They're deceitful, right? They look like they would be fruity. They look like they'd be sweet and they are not. They're just gross. And, and, and here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. That's what sin's like. It's going to offer you a better life, a better path, more enjoyment, more reward, more blessing. You know what? <laughs> Following God sometimes leads you down the path of pain. Why don't you not follow God? It'll get better. And there's this tendency in you and there's this tendency in me to have our hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And this passage should serve as a warning that you could fall, you could drift, you could turn away, so could I. In the last months, just like there is at all times, there have been some prominent Christians and prominent Christian leaders who have walked away from the faith. And I don't know if you keep up with any of that news. I assume you probably don't. But if you have, and for sure around our staff and our pastors, there's been a lot of talking about it and going, man, this guy seemed like someone everyone looked up to. And now he's saying, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be a Christian. What does that mean? I have a lot of different thoughts on it, but the main thought that I have is this. If, if you ever hear someday that I have walked away from Jesus, it's not because Christianity is not true. It's because I wanted to sin. <laughs> I've seen too much. I've seen too many answers to prayer. I've seen and heard God speak and God show up and God change lives. I've seen too much. I, I could, like some of these people do, say, well, it's not true and it, I don't believe it anymore. But for me, I'm not talking about for them. For me, if I walk away, it will be because I want to sin. And I want to do something that I know God forbids. And I'll make up excuses about why I don't believe anymore. Is that where you are? Some of you walking away from the Lord and you've got all these reasons and you're listening to all these doubt-inducing podcasts and you're reading all these things, but the reality is you just want to sleep with your girlfriend. And you know you shouldn't. Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to exhort each other. We need to pray for each other. I don't want to fall from Jesus, and I don't want you to either. So let's heed the warning from Moses and Pharaoh to not let our hearts get hardened. Today, the scripture says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so here's the final invitation of this text, is that God reveals himself through his saving actions. 
God reveals himself to people that are doubtful, two people that have hard hearts, two people that have forgotten about him, and God reveals himself, how? Through his saving actions. Six times, I don't know if you were counting it as we went through, I don't expect that you were, but six times in chapter six and seven, God says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am Yahweh, I am Yahweh. I haven't revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob like I'm about to reveal myself to you. I am the Lord. Okay, Lord, well, what do you like? Let me ask you, how do you you get to know a person? How do you get to know somebody? Through what they do. Right, like, like you could come to Molly and be, or you could come to me and go, hey, tell me about Molly. And I could go, well, about 5'10. Uh, kind of light brown, strawberry blonde hair. Pretty blue eyes. Do you feel like you, I mean, don't you feel like you know her at this point? Not at all, right? Of course you don't know her. Why? Because I haven't told you about anything she's done, right? If you want to know what a person's like, you need to know what are they like? What do they do? What are they into? What are the things that their life consists of, right? It's the same thing with God. Sometimes we go, well, I don't really know God. And we go off on some esoteric philosophical idea of, well, what is God like in some sort of test tube way? God didn't reveal himself that way. He revealed himself through his actions. And notice all the actions, these seven actions that God promises to do. And then he, in the next few chapters, he's going to do. Look at chapter six, verse six. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. Here's what God says. God says, you will know me, people of Israel, by what I do. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take you out of slavery. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna take this broken, hurting story and I'm gonna make it a beautiful story. I'm gonna bring you into a new land, a land filled with milk and honey, and it's gonna be yours. And that's how God is going to reveal himself through the rest of Exodus. Now, that's God saying, okay, I revealed myself a little bit to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now I'm gonna reveal myself a lot to you. But you know what? We have it even better. Like they thought they got a lot through that. We got even more. Because the ultimate revelation of God has come where? In Jesus. And how is Jesus known? Through his saving actions, through his work, through what he accomplishes. That's how he's known. And what is it that Jesus does? Jesus brings us out from under the burden of sin and death. Jesus delivers us from slavery to sin. Jesus redeems us with an outstretched arm and by taking our judgment on the cross. Jesus takes us to be his people. Jesus is our God and shepherd. Jesus brings us into a new creation and allows us to have possession of it. Jesus reveals himself to us. Jesus allows us to have hope for a future and to know that even if 
it seems difficult. And even if it seems that God's absent, he's not. He has come. He is near. And he's for us. Let me ask you, has God revealed himself to you? Has God saved you? Has he forgiven your sins? Has he set you free from being a slave? Has he brought you into a new life of hope? Listen, if, if, if the answer to that is no, then today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is a day where rather than being like Pharaoh and hardening your heart and saying, I don't wanna hear this anymore, have a soft heart, open yourself to him, pray to him, ask him to forgive you, ask him to set you free, ask him to bring him into the hope that is found only in him. And today could be a day of salvation for you. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word and in Christ. Thank you that you are the God who frees us from the burdens of slavery to sin. Thank you that you're a God who took our judgment on the cross. Thank you that you're a God who gives us a hope and a future that one day all things will be made new and that we get to have a taste of that even as you come into our lives by your spirit. God, I pray for those today for whom you are stirring even now. And I pray, God, that they would trust you, that they would believe in you, that they would find salvation and life and hope in you. God, for those of us who have experienced the taste of your goodness, would you protect us, God, from hardening our hearts? Would you protect us from the deceitfulness of sin? Would you put us in environments where people encourage us and exhort us and remind us of what's true? God, we don't want to fall away. We want to hear your voice and adore you and love you always. God, we need your help. God, for those who are in a season of pruning, of crushing, of suffering, would you remind them even now that you're with them, that you're for them. God, thank you that you're good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.